Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 786, my interview with Brad Stahlberg. Peak performance and the passion paradox. I hope you enjoy it. G'day, Brad. Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm well. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Really looking forward to uh, to getting the chance to talk with you. Yeah, it's really good to have you, man. Whereabouts are you? So um, I'm in Oakland, California. So uh, just in the East Bay. California. And uh, good weather over there at the moment, or yeah, it's it's uh, it is nice. Um, we're quite fortunate that it, around this time of year, generally it's fifty-five to sixty-five and uh, nice breeze. Yeah, okay, lovely. Coming into uh, winter for you, and um, no, coming into summer for you, isn't it? Yeah, we're we're exactly That's we're right. we're winter hitting here. a stride. Yeah, yeah, opposite ends. Cool, man. Well, look, um, welcome to the show. I know you've got a couple of books out that I'm really keen to dive into with you and and try and take out the best of your work and experience um, in your field. Um, the first one was peak performance, so all about helping others to elevate their performance and um, success and avoid burnout as well. And the new one, which is Passion Paradox, I love the title, um, and I'm all about passion and following your passion. It's a guide to really finding your passion and cultivating that, but without the negative consequences that can come from that. Is that right? Exactly. So, mate, um, let's start with peak performance. What what got you writing this book? Why is that of an interest to you? So I, I grew up an athlete and uh, throughout throughout my childhood into young adulthood, I was uh, very engaged and interested in competitive sports. And that really carried all the way on into my early 20s. Uh, it started out as team sports. So yep. growing up playing American football and, uh, and basketball and transitioned into some of the more individual sports like running and triathlon. And uh, around the same time that I was getting really into those, those more endurance individual sports, I was also embarking on a career in management consulting, uh, working at the international firm McKinsey and & Company. Okay. And I started to realize that a lot of the same principles that apply to growth and progress and wise training as an athlete also applied in the business world. Hmm. And then I started having conversations with, uh, with friends and, and people that were uh, really high performing creatives or intellectuals and researchers. And sure enough, these same kind of general patterns emerge there too. Uh, and I have a scientific mind. So I went into the literature and scientists that are in cognitive science, psychology, uh, anthropology, um, physiology, all these basically different fields are pointing towards these same truths. So I was very interested in what those truths are, and I saw these patterns, and I said, wow, you know, perhaps there are a few principles that transcend fields, transcend domains, that can really help individuals not only achieve peak performance, but stay there without burning out. Um, and that was the genesis of that book. So these common principles can apply to all fields of, of work and life, basically. Um, is there a handful of them or is there endless amounts of them or is it just a few? No, that so that's the thing. There, there's actually just a few. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting. There are so many books in the genre of peak performance that are full of all these hacks. Hmm. And um, my take on that is that those hacks, a lot of them just don't work, uh, but they sound good. And the, the ones that do work, they maybe get you there the last one or two percent. But there's this enormous foundation that a lot of people overlook. Yeah. Right. Uh, so peak peak performance is really a book about going back to basics. So uh, my favorite principle in that book is this notion that stress plus rest equals growth. Stress and that's true. Plus stress plus rest equals growth. Like uh -huh. if you take one thing away from the book, it's that. And that principle holds true whether you want to 
grow your bicep muscle on your arm, whether you want to grow a business, whether you want to get better as a musician or creative, or even if you want to go deeper and grow in a relationship. Hmm. So you've got to stress the system at the right dose. You have to allow it to rest and recover, and that's how you get growth. And too much stress, not enough rest, what ends up happening is you get injury, illness, burnout. The, the easiest uh, way to illustrate this is you go to the gym and you try lifting weights that are way too heavy for you. Yeah. Well, what happens? Like you hurt yourself. Hmm. Uh, but the flip side is if you never stress yourself, then you don't grow. You could go to the gym and pick up a one pound weight all day, every day, and nothing's going to happen. So the way to make a physical muscle bigger is to find the right dose of stress, stress the system, and then allow it to rest and recover because it's during the rest and recovery period that you get growth. Yeah. Uh, and what I found is that that same concept holds true, again, well beyond just sport, but really in all aspects of life. Uh, emotional development follows the same pattern. You have to challenge yourself emotionally, whether it's as an individual or, or in a friendship or intimate relationship. Uh, we grow from challenge. But if we're just constantly challenging ourselves without time to rest and reflect, we get burnt out. Hmm. Uh, and the same thing holds true in business. This is how organizations grow. Uh, musicians, they're constantly upping the ante on what they're pushing, but they push way too hard. Without enough rest, reflection, recovery, they get burnout. But if they don't push enough, then they kind of stagnate. Um, yeah. So it's this universal cycle of growth uh, that, like I said, really does apply to just about everything. Makes a lot of sense. And I certainly know in my, my field of work, um, you know, if I work too hard and don't give myself those breaks, um, which you sort of have to force yourself to do if you you know love what you do. Um, you do, you'd experience that burnout and you notice a decrease in your performance um, and your attitude towards everything you do as well. Yeah, and, and, and for individuals that are really driven um, and they love their work, I like, I like to call, and I'm like that too, I like to call us pushers. Yeah. So for pushers, the hard part isn't doing the work. The hard part is having the discipline to step away and rest. Uh, because when you're doing the work and you're in the zone, that feels great. Yeah. And in the short term, stopping to rest is actually going to hurt you. You're going to get less done, but it's the kind of thing that saves a career. So you can burn really bright for a year or two, but then burn out. So if you want to have a long career and you want to prioritize long-term growth, you have to have the discipline and, and the courage really to step away and to rest. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part, which we can talk about. I'm just going to backtrack to a little point you made earlier. And I think there's a difference between some some fundamental principles and practices because, as you said, there's so many hacks and practices out there that people recommend to do to increase your performance or whatever it might be. Um, but I, I feel that those practices are very um, contextual-based. You know, it's, it's based on the individual and, and their conditions and their environment and all that sort of thing. So one practice won't work for the next person, but these underlying principles relate to everyone. Is that sort of correct? I mean, is that... One hundred percent. And I don't even, you know, the word hack to me just has kind of a negative connotation because, you know, I like to say that the only hack there is is hacking it every day. Like there's no shortcut to success. You got to show up and do the work. Um, But yeah, (laughs) so so many of these so many of these performance principles in in these routines, it's not that they're inherently invalid. Uh, It's exactly what you said. It's kind of right person, right time. And I'm much more interested in the level deeper. So what are these core concepts and these core principles that are going to run across the gamut? Yeah, and I think that's important because I I still find that I I try a lot of these so-called hacks uh, or practices and I I give them a go in my life. Some of them just don't make sense to me, so I'll let go. Some of them I try um, and they don't really feel, I don't feel any different from them, so I let them go. Some work well, but in time, you know, I have to change that routine because I like things to be different 
um, continuously and sometimes getting into a routine becomes complacent for me. So changing, you know, for example, my morning routine, which is a really solid way for me to increase my performance throughout the day, changing that up um, every six months um, does me a great deal of benefits. But the underlying principle remains the same, having a you know, couple of fundamentals um, for that performance in the morning um, routine. And, and it's interesting. So that was another one of these principles that does cut across uh, all domains and fields of practice hmm. is the importance of routine and of designing your day. But what's interesting is the research shows that there's not one optimal routine. Yeah. So some people, you know, say you have to wake up and you have to meditate and then have tea and then exercise. Or other people say you've got to do the most important thing first. But other people say you should actually use your creative brain in the evening. Uh, that all depends. And, and that's going to differ based on the person. And as you said, different routines might work at different points of your life, depending on context, on your age, on what else is going on. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, the message isn't you have to have this one specific routine. It may work for Tim Ferriss or one of these elite marketers, these elite performers. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you. But what will work is finding a routine that's your own hmm. and grooving into it and then being willing to switch if and when that routine becomes stale. Yeah. Um, Really so, important. so it's exactly what you said. So, with um, going back to stress and rest, now the the first word I want to get there is stress, because when people hear the word stress, it sounds very negative. Yeah, it doesn't sound like something that's going to be good for us. Can you sort of clear that up and, and make it, uh, yeah, more relatable? I suppose. Yeah, I appreciate you you asking that. Um, I guess I take it for granted. So, a lot of people, you're right. They hear the word stress and they think like, oh crap, I'm in a fight with my significant other or I'm having uh, panic or anxiety before a performance review at my job. That's not the kind of stress that I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, when I talk about stress, I, I refer to it in a very biological sense, which is some kind of stimulus that challenges the organism. So again, that stimulus can be going from a 20-pound to a 25-pound weight at the gym. That could be moving in with your significant other, that could be going from being an individual contributor at work to managing. Yep. That could be, um, in the case of an organization, that could be Google going from being predominantly a software company to developing self-driving cars, which is hardware. So these are all things that are going to make the system uncomfortable. And again, if you do too much stress, even that good kind of stress, you end up blowing up. So it's got to be like a dose that is just a little bit beyond what you're accustomed to. Hmm followed by rest, recovery, reflection, and then that's the cycle of growth. So it's like challenge yourself, get just outside of your comfort zone, sit there for a little while, then step back. If it's something physical, literally let your mind-body system recover. If it's something more uh, organizational or personal, make sure you're building in enough time to reflect, and then you can up the ante on that stress. You dial it up just a little bit. Uh, how do we How do we figure that that? percentage yeah. out, you know? Is there a formula you know, I was, there? I was just or... going to go there. Totally. So it's funny. Um, I get asked this all the time. So if you're an athlete, it's really easy. Like I said, if you've done, if you've mastered the 20 pound weight and it starts to feel easy, you go to the 25 pound weight. Um, if you're a six minute miler as a runner, and I guess where you are, it's a, a, a KM. So if your 5K is 20 minutes and that starts to feel easy, then you start training at 19 minute pace. Hmm. In real life, that's a lot harder. So it's, it's not always as easy to say, oh, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm building a business, what, what is the right amount of stress? So there are three ways that I like to think about it. The first is this term that I call a just manageable challenge. So it's just that. It's something that is a challenge, but it feels just manageable. 
And when I say that to people, mm-hmm. there's like a ring to it that people just kind of get. They say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Another way to think about it is it's a seven out of 10. So if a one out of 10 is total boredom, you're going through the motions, and a 10 out of 10 is you're waking up in the middle of the night, you can't fall back asleep because you're thinking about the thing, you wanna be right around a seven. And then perhaps the simplest and most accurate way to think about it is just to ask yourself, what's the next logical step? Hmm. So in individuals that I've worked with one-on-one that I've coached, and, and certainly in the reporting on my book, most people, if they pick an area of their life that they're trying to grow, and they take even just a little bit of time to thoughtfully reflect on where they are now and where they'd like to be, and then ask themselves that powerful question, which is, what's the next logical step? Most people come up with a pretty good answer. Hmm. Yeah. I guess you gotta, yeah, you gotta be quite self-aware of where you are at, and then you'll notice that that point. Totally. Uh, and, and an example is, you know, perhaps if if um, let's say that you really like writing, it's something that I know well, and and, and you've got this blog. Hmm. And it's been a good challenge, but you're kind of getting, you start feeling like you're complacent or like you've really mastered it. So you step back and you say, well, huh, like I'd like to spend more time writing and I'd like to reach a greater amount of people. Hmm. So then that question becomes, well, what's the, what's the next logical step there? What's going to make you uncomfortable? And it could be pitching magazines. It could be starting a podcast. It could be going on social media and trying to tweet once a day. Uh, it could be something else altogether, depending on depending on your context. But just kind of laying out, well, here's where I am, here's where I want to go, and then all these various challenges emerge, and and that's where you kind of have to experiment with, well, what's the right one that's going to make you uncomfortable, but not so uncomfortable that you just quit. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. And the rest part of the stress, I mean, is there? Again, I guess it comes down to how you feel and, and how much is actually required. And perhaps it's a similar formula to what you just explained with the stress part. But is there a way to understand how much rest is too much and how much is not enough? Well, one area where the science is really clear on rest is sleep. Yeah. And uh, you need seven to nine hours of sleep. Gotcha. Um, regardless mm. of what any of the biohackers tell you, you, you have to sleep seven to nine hours at night. And that's whether you're using your body to perform or your mind to perform. Uh, are there some people re- that can get away with four hours? Like there are those people that can really do that? So the, the research there is pretty clear and it shows that about 1% of the population yep. might have a genetic mutation where they're short sleepers. The funny thing is like everyone tells themselves a story that it's them, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's basic probability. If it's 1%, then the odds are that's probably not you, no. but we're really good at tricking ourselves into saying that we're that person. So how many or hours we do be- you sleep or not? I try to sleep eight. Eight, yeah. Yeah. Is that and, possible? And, and here's the thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because here's the thing. You, you, I feel so much better when I get eight hours of sleep and it's this mindset shift. I used to think, cause I'm a driven pusher. I said that I used to think that when I'm sleeping, I'm doing that at the expense of working and it's a sacrifice. Yeah. Now I've totally reframed it and I actually think that sleep is a key part of my job. Mm. So like sleeping is a part of the work. If I wanna, if I wanna be a, a writer and I wanna have ideas that, that warrant conversations like this and, and try to change the discussion on topics I think are important and I wanna do this over the course of my life, I need to sleep. Yeah. And I see this happens when, when I'm in like a really intense bout of work and I, and I get out of that consistent sleep, my thoughts aren't as clear. I don't have nearly as many creative ideas. 
I'm just grumpy. Like I'm not pleasant to be around. Um, so it's become pretty clear to my, to me that like sleep isn't a sacrifice. It's a core part of the job. Hmm, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and that reframe can help a lot of people, like especially entrepreneurs, executives, uh, athletes that really like want to wake up early to get in that extra training session. Once you start thinking of sleep, not as something that's separate from the work, but a key part of the work, then people start sleeping. And, and, and I don't want to go way down too down the rabbit hole of science, but I'll just say if any listeners want to challenge me on this, they should reach out to me because there is so much good science that shows that our bodies don't grow when they're at the gym. They grow when we're sleeping. Our minds don't become smarter or more creative when we're doing the work. They become smarter and more creative when we're sleeping. And even emotionally, we recharge when we sleep. Yeah. So it's almost like the work that you do, the stress period, that is like a stimulus. As I said, it, it kind of it sets the table. But if you don't sleep, you don't get the value of it. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite studies on sleep is uh, creative thinking and cognition. And what it showed is that basically all the stimuli that we're exposed through throughout the day, it's only when we sleep that our mind actually goes through it, figures out where to store it, figures out where to connect it to. So your brain literally... It's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. And, sleep. Hmm. and it's crazy to me that people people uh, neglect this. Hmm. But I get it because I've been there. If you're like, again, entrepreneurs, executive, I know that's some of your audience, just people that are really driven that want to want to do the work you know, sleep when I die. That's one way to think about it. But another way to think about it is, wow, sleep's such an important part of the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to enhance not just your performance, but your, your health and happiness too. Absolutely. Um, I think the book that I read that really um, cleared it up because it's been quite a, a flip on the scene at the moment, you know, in this self-improvement field, I guess there was a lot of, you know, this work, work, work and sleep less and all that, but they've really flipped it around now and sleep seems to be the new the new trend and um, the book by Matthew Walker, I think it's called Sleep. It was a fantastic yeah. read um, that really, you know, shows the science and, and encapsulates it all of why sleep is so important. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think too, you know, sleep is, um, you know, the important part of rest, but it's also um, relates to, I guess, how much better your performance is in certain increments of time. And it, it sort of, there's a link there between, um simplicity as well like really limiting your schedule and, and making a few hours of really good performance is better than eight hours of you know here this and that sort of performance if that makes sense um and i sort of i feel that you know working six days throughout the week solidly may not be the most best way to improve your performance whereas you could probably do the same amount of work that most people do in three or four days yeah, and, 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 and so much of that is, well, what's your level of focus and discipline when you're working, and then what's the rest in between? Uh, there's something that, that is called in sport, but again, I think it applies in all areas of life, called polarization, mm -hmm. which says that when you're on, you want to be really on, and when you're off, you want to be really off. Yeah. And when you get caught in that murky middle, that's when you're working six, seven days a week, and you're kind of going through the motions or you're not really time. on. Yeah, yeah, you're not really on. You're not really off. Um, so I 100% agree with you. And that's how the best athletes train. They don't do like junk miles where they're just going through it. Like, the, the, you know, they'll do three to four real hard workouts a week and then everything else is recovery. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So look, stress and rest um, equals growth. Having solid routines, we sort of touched on that. Is there anything um, just with that principle that you think is more... Um, 
worth mentioning? So I think something that's worth mentioning is around uh, when when you're most creative, right? And uh, there there's there's pretty good consensus that people are either morning people or night people, uh, called night owls or morning larks, and you don't need to do any kind of sophisticated testing to know it. Most people just kind of know this about themselves. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is I'm a morning person. I always thought that that would mean that I would be most creative in the morning, but it's not true. You're actually most creative off cycle. Yeah. And that is because the morning brain for me, the peak brain wants to be all focused. So if I try to try to write something creative in the morning, I want to edit every single sentence as I go. Whereas when I get more tight, whereas when I get more tired, in the afternoon, it's almost like my brain lets lets go a bit, and then I can vomit on the page. I can be more creative. I can free think. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. So I think that that's a really important little little thing for people to understand and structure your day around. So, and if you're a night person, it's just the opposite. But wherever you feel like you're most sharp and deeply focused, that's a great time to do highly analytical work, but schedule the creative stuff off cycle. Okay, that's really interesting because I'm I'm the same, and I I find my attention and focus is much sharper, and I I have much more higher output or productivity in the morning hours. Um, and I do some writing in the mornings. I do actually enjoy doing my writings in the morning, but I leave a lot of things that are more slow pace, creative pace, I suppose, um, yep. to the afternoon where I don't have to be so yeah highly focused and attentive. Yeah, so you it, so a lot of people intuit this and they just do it on their own. But I think some people try to force themselves to do the creative stuff when they assume that that's going to be best, uh, when in fact it, it's a little it's a little counterintuitive. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Okay, and what what other is there a couple of other principles that's worth mentioning um, in regards to performance? So I, I think there's one more, and this is a nice bridge to the the second book that I wrote. Yeah. Uh, which is this notion of purpose and passion. Yeah. And if you've got a purpose, particularly one that is filled with a source of meaning, you are much, much, much more able to endure fatigue and get through hard times. So if you are doing whatever you're doing purely for egotistical reasons, Mm -hmm. and then the going gets tough, you're much more likely to pull back the pace or yeah. quit altogether. Yeah. You you get you get scared and you contract. Whereas if you're doing that for some broader mission, you're much much more likely to to push through. Um and and this is a finding that is true in athletes, in artists, in entrepreneurs, uh in physicians and doctors certainly, and it's something that is also true in um what are called observational studies where we're just watching people. Okay. And also in neuroscientific studies, when you look at someone's brain, when they're motivated by a cause that they see as meaningful, the part of their brain that is associated with fear has less activity. Okay. So again, when the going gets tough, you're less likely to shut down if the work that you're doing is meaningful, connected to some kind of cause. Gotcha. How, like, let's just break down purpose for a second, because there's a lot of talk about this as well. Um, and I think there's a difference between sort of life's purpose or a life purpose and, you know, purpose related to an activity or project or something like that. Um, is there a difference between the two and, and can you explain on that? So I think you can have, you can have multiple purposes. Yeah. Um, so you can have an overall life purpose. And then what I would argue is to the extent you can, 
you want to stack up your activities and projects to align with that life purpose. Right. Okay. Um, so it's almost like there are different layers. So, you know, I, another way, because purpose, and I know that's the word that I use, but, but purpose can be a little bit intimidating. Like, well, I don't know what my purpose is. So I think it's also really helpful to, to think in terms of core values. I think so that's where are, a lot like, of people get stuck is around purpose. They think, you know, yeah. I, I don't know what my purpose is. What's my life purpose? And I mean, right. I, I don't believe there's a particular life purpose for the person or the individual. I think you have to go out there and find it. And yeah, again, perhaps that's where you're going with the values. Yeah. So, so better than per, in, 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 in the book, uh, in peak performance, the research shows that the way that you get to a purpose is by identifying some core values. And then exactly like you said, going out into the world and living those out and seeing how that feels. Um, so for instance, rather than try to have this, this tidied up perfect life purpose, I'd reflect on what are the three to five things that matter most to you? Yeah. And then how do you do things? How do you do activities that act in service of them? So for example, um, my core values are authenticity, health, community, creativity, and wisdom. So those are the things that I want to embody. And then under each of those, I have specific activities that lead me to to those core values. Um, and then you can really logically nicely array a life that is in alignment with your core values. Yeah. And um, how do you suggest people go out and find those values? Is it something they just need to sort of get a list of? I mean, I've, I've heard of a cool couple of activi- activities that can help people identify their values. But do you have a particular one that you you advise people so on? There's- yeah, so there's two there's two ways that I like to go about it. One is you can so so you can just there are, there are all these validated lists of common core values, and you can go into Google. I think in 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 my book there's there's sixty core values yeah. that I give, um, and you can find these online too. And you can just look at that list, and your core value might not be on that list, but it will help you brainstorm and find things that feel true. Now some people say, well, shit, like I don't know what my core values are. So then I'd ask yourself, what do you like doing? What are the things that you like doing? <laughs> then it's funny because it's the Hidden Why podcast. And then just start asking yourself why. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like writing. Why do I like writing? Um, because I, it, it forces me to really reflect on things and think. Well, why do I like to reflect on things and think? Um, because I like to know the deeper meaning of things. Well, why do I want to know the deeper meaning of things? Um, because I'm interested in trying to get to the truth. And then boom, that's a core value. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it's just what are the things that you enjoy and why do you enjoy them? And I like that digging technique where you just keep asking why and why and why because that's when you really get to, whether it's a superficial sort of thing, something that's just you know based on your ego or something that you've heard or think might be the, the value or whether it's actually real to you. Yeah. And a lot of people, um, a lot of people end up getting to pretty similar core values. Uh, so things like love, friendship, uh, community, relationships, family. Um, but some people at times in their lives, they don't sound as wholesome and that's okay. I, I know someone who a big core value is reputation hmm. and that's judgment neutral. Uh, in the future, perhaps they'll change that. But right now that's something that they're focused on. So then it's okay. Well, how do you build that up? Um, but yeah, the, the asking why really gets you, you, you like, what, what are those drivers? So if we get some values and we we start aligning ourselves um, with those, that, that gives us a little bit more purpose in our day-to-day activities. Um, where does passion come into the mix? And is passion, yeah. is, is passion again, is passion aligned with those values as well? So so I, don't, I think passion less in alignment with a value 
in more a temperament or a trait or a personality type that find, sometimes you just have it, sometimes it finds you. Yeah. Uh, so the definition of passion that I use is it's the relentless pursuit of something or it's a really strong fire, drive, and zeal for a certain activity or pursuit. Hmm. Rel now, relentless pursuit. Yeah, now what's interesting is if the definition of passion is the relentless pursuit of something with positive consequences, the most widely held definition of addiction is the relentless pursuit of something despite negative consequences. So passion and addiction are really two sides of the same coin. So passion is like this rocket fuel. Hmm. And if you point it in productive directions, it can be very positive. But if you point it in non-productive directions, or if you don't control it and you just kind of let it do its thing, it tends to veer off in some of these non-productive directions, and then it can become um, very destructive, actually. Yeah, yeah. And that's a um, a good link between the two, I think, addiction and passion. Um, yeah. Because you and, hear and, a lot of people and, say, oh, I'm really addicted to, you know, surfing or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and that and that's the paradox of passion, right? And, and that's the title of the book, The Passion Paradox. And, and this is a topic that fascinates me. Um, well, it's one of the three. So there are three main paradoxes of passion. Mm -hmm. So the one that we're we're circling around now is this notion that on the one hand, and research shows this, passion is associated with lasting peak performance, life satisfaction, and overall well-being. Yeah. Research also shows that passion is associated with anxiety, depression, burnout, and cheating. So how can this thing be both great, this good energizing force? So what were the other three? You said suffering, burnout? Anxiety, depression, burnout, and cheating. Uh-huh. So how can this thing be both this energizing positive force, but also this destructive, terrible thing? And that's one of the paradoxes of passion, that it's not good or bad. It just is. And it really depends on where you point it and if you have control over your passion or your passion has control over you. And so much of this comes down to whether or not you love the thing that you're doing itself or you love the external validation and the recognition you get from doing it. And it's such a slippery slope. So, so internal, many people... Internally motivated versus yep. intrinsically motivated? Bingo. And so many people start out with this strong passion where you're internally motivated. Hmm. So you love doing... Um, you love writing because you love the craft or you like a podcast because you love the conversations. Yeah. And then what happens is suddenly you start to perform well and you get followers or you have a book published or your podcast gets listed on the iTunes top 100 or whatever. And then the next thing you know, you get more passionate about that, about the external validation than the, the, than the activity itself. Yes. And that is the fine line where what once is productive and energizing and healthy can become destructive and negative. And now these two things are on a spectrum. No one I've met is totally harmonious, totally intrinsically motivated. Yeah. The key is you want most of your motivation to be intrinsic most of the time. And I think um, there's a couple of points there that I just want to question is getting started and, and finding a passion or finding passion maybe um, can be often 
extrinsically motivated to begin with until you get into it and really enjoy it. And the other thing is that I often think about is that when you are in enjoying a passion project and you're, you know, loving the art, et cetera, et cetera, but then some of these extrinsic motivators, like I'm just started a podcast and I'm really enjoying the process, loving the interviews, but hey, there's no numbers watching me. Suddenly that extrinsic um, motivator depletes your passion, your intrinsic passion, I should say, and then therefore you, you give up and you stop. And I see a lot of people doing that too. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I, I do think that some people come into it because they are extrinsically motivated. They need a paycheck. Yeah. Or, um, you know, they think it'll make them look cool. Although I'd argue it's more the paycheck thing. If you're doing something just to feed your ego right from the start, that's probably not a great reason to do it. Because mm. um, I think that that just leads to suffering. Because then what happens is inevitably when things go bad or when you hit a rough spot, that's going to feel like such a personal attack and a personal loss. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think back to when I started the podcast and I'm sure it's because I was listening to podcasts and I thought that'd be really cool to have a podcast. Around the same time, I started a blog and I started writing and I started finding joy there. And um, yeah, there was definitely some extrinsic motivation there, but um, I don't have the world's best podcast in the world or blog. I absolutely love the the process of it. And that's very much extrinsically driven, which is why I've, I've done so many. Um but I think there was a higher level of extrinsic motivation going into it. Extrinsic in what sense? Well, yeah, popularity or just be cool, the recognition, you know, very ego-based. And, and, and now you think that that shifted more to the actual process of doing it? 100%. Otherwise, I still wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So that's interesting. And, and most people start out the other way. They start out intrinsically motivation and then they become extrinsically motivation. Uh, excuse me, then they become more extrinsic. Yeah. Do you think that you just kind of like got sick of the popularity contest thing? Um, like what was it that caused you to shift? I'm really curious. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to really think this out, but um, I just think getting into it, I didn't have enough uh, experience or practice or hours behind me to really know that it was a, a definitely an intrinsically motivated passion. Because I only just started writing, just started reading books about you know self improvement, all that sort of thing, just started finding the joy there, and then I started the blog and the podcast. Mm, yeah, interesting. Now, I guess I've always loved. I mean, if I look back in, into my past, I've enjoyed writing in the past and this and that. Um, but you know, I, I really think a, a deep, intrinsically motivated passion. Um, is cultivated over time. It, it builds over time. It doesn't just click and you're, so that's you're there. so that's true. So that's that's a hundred percent true. So that's the other. So so I want to unpack this. So that's the, another paradox of passion hmm. is that everyone says find your passion. That's bullshit. Yeah, you don't like, find your passion. <laughs> no, no, it's not how it works. Like you yeah. have to develop it over time. And if anything, the very thing that gets in the way of people not having a passion is that they have this expectation that they're going to find it, that it's just going to be like lightning strikes. You see the same thing in romantic passion. You know, I'm going to find my soulmate, the perfect person. Well, guess what? The perfect person and the perfect activity, they don't exist. And if you have that high of a bar, you're going to be in seeking mode. Yeah. And you're going to constantly be searching for this perfect thing. So a huge paradox of passion is that you don't find it, you develop it. And how do you develop it? You lower the bar from immediately 
all-consuming passion to this is interesting. This is something that I'm curious about. And you give yourself time to explore your interests. Yep. It's such a mindset shift that is so powerful. Like if I look at how I got into writing, same thing that you just said. I was not like, oh, I want to be published or I'm, I'm so passionate about writing. Uh, I just thought it would be an interesting way to self-reflect. So I just and maybe writing. maybe that was an intrinsic uh, motivator for me too. Is just the the whole process of learning and the joy for that. And and maybe I'm just overlooking that right now. Yeah, and and, and I I think that that's so common. Hmm. Um, and and then again though, I know that for me, it wasn't long because writing is hard before I hit a wall and I had writer's block and I struggled. Now if I would have had the mindset that up oh, passion needs to be perfect. I would have stopped. I would have been like, oh, I guess writing's not for me. On to the next thing. Um, but because I saw it as just an interest, like I didn't put that much pressure on myself, 10 years later, it is my passion. Yeah. But it took a good 10 years for writing to become a passion. Right. Um, That's cool. And I think that is, you know, that is such an important thing for listeners to, to, to hear, which is like all the advice that you get at graduation and commencement speeches, find your passion, like get that out of your mind. Um, just follow your interests and be curious. Uh, and again, it's, it's not my area of expertise, but I find it fascinating that the same thing is true for romantic love and dating. Hmm. Um, there's research that shows that people that think that there's a perfect person, a soulmate out there in the world for them are much more likely to end up single than people who believe that you actually have to develop that kind of intimacy over time. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's not what common sense tells you. Like you, you grow up watching Walt, you know, Disney movies and everyone finds their prince charming or their princess charming. You have a soulmate and you tune into positive psychology and self-help and everyone says, find your passion. But both of those things are actually kind of promoting the wrong mindset. Yeah, but that, that's, the, that's probably the, uh, the problem out there with passion and purpose and all these things is that, Hey, it's just there. You just got to find it. And everyone's got this expectation that when they find it, it'll be perfect. Um, there's a couple of things there. And I think passion and that longevity game links to performance as well, because performance is usually like you just said, you know, it took you 10 years to really develop your art. Um, but also developing the, the passion. And I, I know that looking back three years on, on my first blog post, it's absolutely rubbish. Um, and it makes me cringe and, and still my work makes me cringe, but, um, I don't seek perfection right away. I seek the, the improvement of the process. Um, is there a link between the two, the passion and the performance and, and the long, you know, the long game? Yeah. So, so that's the, that is the key link. So harmonious passion, which again is more internally driven. Mm. You enjoy the thing itself mm. is linked to lasting peak performance, right. obsessive passion, which is you're so worried about the outcome. Yeah is linked to burnout yeah. and short performance. Mm -hmm. um, another way to think about this is process over outcome. Like, and again, it's so easy to say these things intellectually, it's hard to actually do them in the real world sure. when there are all these various metrics. So I, I don't expect anyone to be 100% process driven. We're humans, we're wired to care what other people think, we're wired to care about outcomes. Yeah. It's just that the majority of the time you want to be focused on the process. Mm. Uh, and something else that I found in, in writing The Passion Paradox is that this isn't something that you can think your way into. You, you kind of have to act your way into this. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you have a big success, 
you get tons of venture funding for your your company or you write an article that goes viral or your podcast hits the top 100 or you get promoted into a job that you never thought you'd have or you have a terrible failure so the opposite of those things happen your company fails you don't get the job promotion uh, your book flops yeah you got to give yourself i call it in the book the 48 hour rule give yourself 48 hours Actually, in the book, I call it the 24-hour rule, but people push back. So I've said, all right, it's kind of, <laughs> it's more conceptual. Some people, it's one day. Some people, it's three days. But give yourself 24 to 72 hours, let's say, yep. to be really excited and enjoy the dopamine rush and sit there and feel like the man or feel like the woman or grieve the defeat and be really sad. But then you force yourself, and it can really feel like forcing yourself to get back to the work itself. Yeah. So do the work. So for me, when I have an essay that comes out that I get really excited about that does great, I let myself for a day sit on Twitter and just watch the comments come in and see this thing blow up. But then after a day, I force myself to close out of Twitter. Literally, I sign out and I get back to the actual work, which for me is writing. Hmm. And, and it's not easy because um, the external stuff, I call it ego candy. Like it, like if there's a Snickers bar in front of you or kale, you're going to eat the Snickers bar. But if all you do is eat the Snickers bar, you start to feel kind of gross. And I look at all the outcome stuff and the focus on outcome is like Snickers bars. Like in the short term, <laughs> it feels really good to, you know, yeah. obsess over metrics and check your sales rank if you're an offer or if you're on social media, see how your posts are doing. Yeah. But if you spend a week doing that, you start to feel like rubbish. Hmm. Um, so I think that like a huge thing is again, this notion, you want your passion to come from the inside, but that's not just something that you can think your way into. You really have to act your way into it. And mm. the way to do it is to set some real hard, rigid boundaries for how long are you going to let yourself celebrate or grieve before you actually get back to doing the work itself. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And I guess that relates back to, uh, stress and rest equals growth. Yeah, totally. Well. I mean, these, these, yeah, these, yeah the, these, like I said, these principles are very much interrelated. It's almost like the the passion, and, and in hindsight, I should have written these books in reverse order, um, but I, I couldn't have known that at the time. But I, I totally recommend that people read the passion paradox first, because it's almost like you have to figure out a you don't find your passion, you develop it, and then you figure out well, I need to keep it positive, productive, harmonious. Here's how to do that. And that passion kind of shoots you up the mountain. And then once you're locked in and you're towards the top, it's those principles of peak performance that help you stay there. Yeah, it's all, uh, all related. What the, um, with, with the passion too, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, so I, I feel that some people are fortunate enough to, to run into their passions and really find them early on in life. Um, and others are still struggling, you know, not really picking it up, not finding that passion, not finding their purpose. Um, and I, I just can't agree more with what you said before. It's about the activity and the action. And I always just say to people, you know, go out there and just try multiple things. Keep trying things. You know, if it's not quite right for you, don't be afraid to stop and move on and try something else. But there is that level of passion in something out there and you'll know when you find it. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, you know, we're on the same page. I think if I remember, I go to your website when you first reached out and I saw Discover Your Why, A Life of Passion and Purpose. And I love that. Because it is discovery, and it's a process to get there. Um, something that I write about in the book is, and this is something that I just made up, it's, it's not a medical condition, but I think it should be. I call it, I couldn't possibly do this syndrome. So, oh, 
Like, I'm a doctor. I couldn't possibly be uh, uh, an artistic person. Or I couldn't possibly launch a podcast. And, 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 and I talk to people like this, and that's because, again, they have this expectation that they've got to nail it and they've got to come to it right away. Whereas most of the people that I know that have had wonderful lives of passion and performance, they did not magically just find that thing. Hmm. They grew into it over years. It's kind of like the successful marriage seems perfect after 30 years, but not after five. Yeah. And I think the same thing's true for a vocation. Like if you expect things to be hunky-dory, you're going to really struggle when the going gets tough. Hmm. So I think that just lowering that bar from this perfect thing, Prince Princess Charming, That's a try. Um, hmm. lowering the bar to just like, what what is interesting? And then giving yourself permission to follow your interests. That's, and not even worrying about passion. Like again, I didn't set out to, I must have a passion and I want it to be writing. I was just following my interests and passion kind of emerged out of it. Yeah. Um, and all the research supports that as well. Yeah, you're not actually yeah, focused on finding passion. You're just finding joy in life and what you do. And I think the other problem is that we do get so caught up in these these expectations in this perfect world and, and we're so, you know, connected socially, looking online, comparing ourselves to others, that we have um this false idea of what it's all about. And I think I think everyone, as they age, they start to realize what life is really about. And I think finding those passions, they don't have to be things that change the world or impact millions of people or, you know, make mega fortunes or whatever. You know, they can be simple things that you do in life that really just enrich your life overall. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and again, like they become passions slowly over time. Um, but for so many people, they've got this block, which is that they think it's got to be perfect right away. Hmm. And eliminating that block um, is a huge part of my work, trying to get people to realize that it doesn't have to be perfect right away. Yeah, yeah. So what's your advice just closing out here uh, for people out there just going, okay, well, I'm, I'm getting some of this. I'm not getting some of this. Um, how can I you know, go out there and find more passion and, and purpose in my life? So I'd say it's, it's be patient. Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission. One. Give yourself permission to pursue your interests. So we've talked about that quite a bit. Lower the bar from... It's got to feel perfect and so energizing to to simply this is interesting. And then once you're on that path, be honest with yourself. And if you find yourself being pulled more by ego and external stuff than love of the process and internal stuff, don't judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up, but just change your behaviors, change your actions. Spend Mm. less time on social media, more time doing the work. Spend less time obsessing over metrics, more time doing the work. And once you get back to doing the work that you love, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, that's some good advice. The patience thing is is a, is a killer for me, um, certainly. Um, Not just you, man, for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's huge, but it's, it's a huge part of it too. You know, it's a long game. Life is a long game, so you need to have that patience. But as you said, I think it's it's definitely something that you can get into. And I've, I've been lured through these paths myself before where I'm into it and I, I'm starting to falsely misguide myself believing that it's something that I'm passionate about and then I start going hey what am I doing this for after a long period of time and the cost factor becomes more uh, paramount too the longer you spend in it and then you are sort of forced to stay in in there rather than just saying yep let go and just move on you know what I mean like there's yeah that, that yeah cost like factor. the sun cost totally the sun cost yeah yeah um but yeah I, I think it's it's really just important to be have that self-awareness as well and um 
And I mean, is that part of all what you do as well? Self-awareness? Are you into meditation yeah. and mindfulness and things like that? Yep. You got to be able to step outside of the storm and yeah. kind of see the weather from, from afar. Um, it's funny, you know, I, 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 the third paradox of passion that we haven't touched on much, but is important is this notion that don't strive for perfect balance, strive for self-awareness to evaluate the trade-offs and pursue what's important. And when you're in the thick of something, it's very hard to see that thing objectively. So cultivating self-awareness, that's the stuff that helps you make sure that you're actually working on the things that you care about and you're not just letting the inertia and the momentum totally take over. Yeah, and that's the, the critical part again, still going back to the start of the conversation for rest. Rest is that part, I think. Yeah, you can't you can't have self-awareness if you're constantly doing. Yeah. You got it. You have to have some time where you're just being, where you're resting. Yeah, and I've certainly found that in the past where I've just been working, 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 things are piling up on my plate. I'm doing more activities. Awesome, 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 but I'm leading to burnout and then I realized that none of it really mattered that much. There was a few key activities that were important, but the rest was just stuff that I, I piled on top of the schedule that was causing me a lot of stress, unnecessary stress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, unfortunately stress. that mm. that happens. But uh, mate, cool, cool stuff, Brad. Thanks for coming on today and uh, sharing. Uh, I want to encourage everyone listening out there to go and pick up copies of your books. I'm going to stick the links in the uh, show notes here uh, for them to click on. That's at the hidden why. And this is episode, I don't even know, 786. Um, so check out that at thehiddenwhy.com. Brad, how can people best reach out to you and connect? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Um, I I try to be pretty responsive on Twitter. Um, so my like handle... It. My handle there is at B Stolberg. Uh, and then you can learn more about my work at uh, my website, which is just like my name, www.bradstolberg.com. Yeah, cool. I'll stick those in the show notes as well, guys. So check it out, thehiddenwide.com. Thank Brad for coming on. Brad, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. And uh, all the best with the uh, the book sales and, and progress going forward. Yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for having me on the show. Thanks, listeners. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwhy.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee martin until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon